Welcome to We Need to Talk About HR, a weekly podcast where we explore forces shaping our jobs today, from new technology, shifting expectations, all the way through to tightening budgets. I'm your host, Felix Mitchell. Before we get going, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Instant Impact, for their support. Instant Impact, well, it happens to be my, my company, so always makes fee negotiations complex. Uh, but we are focused on making world-class talent acquisition a reality for SMEs by providing a range of talent solutions from RPO to workforce planning. If you're in HR or in recruitment and you're overwhelmed with the sheer volume or complexity of recruitment challenges, then get in touch. Visit instant-impact.com where you'll be able to book in a call with me to talk through your TA strategy headaches. Now, onto the show. We're going to be talking about AI and the impact that we expect it to have in our workforce and businesses today. It's a topic that regular listen, listeners will know that I'm borderline obsessed with. So I am very lucky to have Andrew Mulder in the studio to co-pilot us through the conversation. Andrew is People Director at Nudge a business providing financial education for all. But before that, he was head of people at MVF, a company seemingly cemented to the top of the Financial Times best companies to work for. Uh, prior to that, he held HR roles in a range of other businesses from law firms to, uh, to charities. And all in all, we are very lucky to have you on the pod. Andrew, welcome. Happy to be here. <laughs> Great intro. Oh, thank I'm very you impressed. Much. It worked well for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, let's let's start off. I think one of the things I really like on the show is is understanding people's route into HR. I don't think anyone, sadly, yeah. uh, is a ten year old saying that they really want to work in uh, in in either either HR or talent acquisition. So how did you how did you end up here? Can you believe it? Yeah. How did I end up here? So. I ended up here. Uh, I was probably one of the generation that probably shouldn't have gone to uni, but just did because it was what you did. Um, you know, school, college, uni was the well-trodden path. Um, I think I would have thrived, you know, much more effectively doing a sort of modern apprenticeship as they are now, but I didn't. I went off to uni. Uh, business was just what I was interested in. Um, you know, I was just interested in, you know, in organizations that made money, to be honest. There was nothing particularly altruistic about it. I just found the ecosystem of business quite interesting. But when I was looking at um, the kind of subscription levels in the courses that you could do, uh, you know, typically marketing was you know, well oversubscribed. So actually, I took a look at what was there. And I saw this thing called HR where, you know, the sign up level was actually quite low. And I thought, well, if I'm going to differentiate myself here, you know, whatever this discipline is, <laughs> you know, not many people seem to be doing it. Um, so why don't I take a look at that? So had a bit of a look at what it was all about. Um, it, it was actually the kind of, you know, the, the talent side of things, you know, looking at recruitment and selection and all of that stuff. Uh, that I thought was most interesting, just because it sounded buzziest probably on the on the syllabus, and uh, yeah, spent three years you know studying that and doing that, and uh, you know then fell out the other end, and uh, from there went into executive search. So started life doing uh, headhunting for F one teams uh, on the tech side, um, you know nuclear engineering, financial services. It was a real mix, uh, and eventually ended up headhunting for an HR role. Uh, and then the recession hit in 06 or 08 or whenever it was. And I had a chance to make that move into an HR rollout of um, doing um, doing sort of executive search. So just went for it. 
you know, went in with two feet, got my first entry level job. And then from there, just kind of weaved my way through various different sectors, didn't stay in one particular area for very long. Um, you know, I think at the start of the career, the jobs tended to be shorter. And then as I got more experienced, the tenure in the roles tended to to sort of peak a little bit. And, you know, five years is my sweet spot. Um, you know, my, my old mentor, Ange, hello, Ange, if you're listening, uh, would always say that, you know, businesses and roles tend to go in five-year cycles. And actually, I think that's really true. Uh, so, you know, my last couple of stints in more senior jobs have been around five years. Uh, and I think that's just about right to kind of, you know, make a bit of an impact, get some things done, learn a lot, and then move on and do something else. That's really interesting. You've got gone for a sort of Soviet style five year. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it described that way, but sure. That Why not? Why not? Well, that's really interesting. You're right at the beginning of this year's, of uh, this next five year yeah. plan then at, yeah. at Nudge. And obviously there's only so, presumably only so much you can reveal, but I'd be really interested in understanding how you approach that I suppose joining a new organization, I know Nudge is very fast, fast, fast growing startup, scale up sort of world. So how are you positioning yourself? How are you planning your days and your weeks to make sure that you're you're really landing with impact? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I don't, um, I, I wouldn't say that I, you know, I haven't sat down and said, you know, here's my list of how I'm going to make an impact. But there's there's so much that you need to bear in mind contextually for any organization you're in. So MVF, much you know further down the line in its growth journey than Nudge and you know Nudge is you know a very innovative product that's at the stage where actually it's landed some huge logos now and it's really ready to to scale and it's globalizing its product. So you know on the one hand it's come in you know look what's the state of the nation. So um, you know any any HR or, or people person as you're coming in, it's looking at the sort of the operations and you know making sure there's a passing grade there in all of the key things. You know very root cause. Is the compliance fine? Yes, it's fine. Okay, well, let's just leave it alone. Where are we at with operations? Yes, that seems fine. You know, we'll do some prioritizing there. But then it's a case of moving on to looking at what are the things that influence, you know, corporate strategy and inverted commas. You know, what's the sort of six to 18 months horizon looking like? What does the business need to do? What are the things we can do to, to make an impact there? Particularly in founder-led businesses where you know, you're really pushing to get that product live, to get something, you know, rolled out globally to do things. You haven't got the same horizon that you might have in a PLC environment or in, you know, even several hundred people. You know, it's really about those those short to midterm horizons of what can we do that's going to make the most impact now. And then sometimes starting to, you know, bring in maybe the things that, you know, maybe the organization doesn't need doesn't know that it needs yet. Um, and that's sort of that three-year horizon where actually you might be thinking about bigger organization development topics, you know, board level development and that type of thing. So you're really covering a big range and actually it's finding the things that are most important and really, really ruthlessly prioritizing where you spend your time because, you know, there, it's not a huge team at Nudge in terms of the people team, there's three of us, talent acquisition operations and me. It's the first time this role has been in the business. There's lots it wants to do. Um, it's got a great culture already. The operations are well ahead of where it needs to be. So that's an excellent head start for me. So that's a real opportunity to get stuck into some of those really meaty things far sooner. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. And it, it leads us quite nicely onto our topic today, which is, you know, really talking around AI and what that's going to, what that's going to do for, for businesses. But before we, before we jump in, I think that piece around and I feel like the more I talk to HR professionals, the more I think that this is one of the key differentiation differentiation points between a good HR team and a and a great one, 
is spending time understanding the mid to long-term strategy of the organization and then really ruthlessly thinking, prioritizing the never-ending list of things that could be on an HR to-do list, not necessarily to deal with the most urgent issues, but to make sure that, that just just that, but always to make sure there's an eye on the those important bottlenecks for the for the future. And I wonder if you've got any tips for, you know, either new either new HR leaders or or people who've been in the organization for a, for a couple of years on how they can break down those those barriers and engage in those sort of longer term, more strategic conversations. Yeah. And this 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 is actually a, probably a theme that will be mirrored when we start talking about AI and uh, and and the way that's used. But I think um, I think the problem is you have to be business facing first. You know, if you go into any new role, you know, if you're promoted internally into a new role, and actually what you bring with you is this reputation for um, you know being inwardly focused, you know, a functional silo that's doing HR very well, but no one actually views you as particularly knowledgeable or even particularly interested in what the business does, you know, what's important to the organization at any point in time, then, you, you know, you're firmly in that non-strategic HR camp. And some businesses want that, you know, some roles you'll, you'll see them advertised and you'll have a chat with a recruiter. And this is talking from real experience of my, my search. And, you know, you'll be told, well, you know, it's, they just want someone that's going to come in and you can be really autonomous and just do the operations. And to, to me, that's not what's interesting. You know, it's sort of what I was leading with at the start. I find business interesting. I find scaling organizations interesting. You know, that was what drew me to Nudge, which is, you know, it's a scaling organization with a great culture that's doing a product, which I understand well, because it's a, you know, it's an HR tech product. So I've got a different role that I can play in that business as well, you know, operationally as someone that understands the buyer. So for me, that's a great opportunity because actually I can wear my HR hat when I need to, uh, but also I've got a, a commercial hat that I can put on in terms of helping with the product development, you know, or engaging with our, our audience and our customers. Um, so all of that is what excites me and that, that should excite you as an HR person, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, try and find a business where you've got some level of connection with what it's there to do. Um, and, you know, that helps you build your own commercial understanding of you know, what's important to that organization. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think to that, I uh, thinking about different career paths into into HR, I'd love to see a world where more people from product and ops and other departments move into that yeah. HR, HR world. And obviously there's a there's a there's some subject matter expertise you need to pick up along the way, but I'd love to see that being more a more well trodden route. Yeah, and I, I think you do you see it, but I think it's definitely the exception mm -hmm. rather than the rule. You know, if you look at you know, the sort of makeup of CPOs and, you know, people directors or whatever you want to call them around the world. You don't think you'll probably find there's very few that have, you know, made that leap in from, you know, product or tech or, you know, client delivery backgrounds, whatever that might be. And, you know, and there is this sort of emerging idea of people experience and that idea of workplace experience as a product. You know, I, I think we're a, a very long way away from that becoming cracked as a, um, you know, sort of way of operating that businesses are bought into. I, I personally do believe it and think actually, if you've got the right data points and, you know, you're measuring the right things and you're taking action in the right way, then that is actually a very legitimate way of doing things. It's just a case of not getting too obsessed with the HR. The HR needs to happen, but then that people experience as a product is a very different sell. And 
until you're doing the basics right and until you can really show that you understand the business it's going to be much harder for you to get investment in something that might be more of a, a gamble from an organization's perspective to start investing money in extra headcount extra systems extra resource around data to help you really optimize things so i think we'll get there in the end but i think we've got a long way to go and i sometimes don't think as a profession we do ourselves many favors well absolutely and 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 this is why i wanted to get you on the on the pod as well is I mean, as as you know, as we've spoken about, I see sort of advent of, you know, I guess, really pervasive AI being just a fantastic opportunity for people in HR to to take that step up to the to the strategic. So that's why I really want to get into it with you today. But I would love just to ask a really almost impossibly overarching question for you, which is, how are you how are you looking at AI at the moment? Where do you see the opportunities and where do you see the risks? Yeah, interesting that you use the R word. And that I think is sometimes the self-limiting problem of HR professionals, people professionals, whatever you want to call them, which is, you know, by training, we are in our early careers, you know, you're, you're a risk manager an awful lot of the time. And even in your sort of later career as well, you know, this idea of risk never goes away. And it's something where I think actually, you know, people professionals can stifle themselves sometimes with, the worrying about risk. And I, I was talking to our COO about this yesterday where we were having a very broad conversation about, you know, the way roles develop. And it was this idea that, um, you know, you need to be able to take on certain hats at certain times and and take them off. And, you know, the idea of being employed to manage risk, knowing there's risk, not saying there's risk and knowing when to just not talk about risk, you know, but knowing that you can manage that. And it's it's a it's a difficult balance, particularly when you're new in a role where you're thinking, well, I'm here, I need to showcase what I know and this and that. But you know, if you're sitting in a room just rattling off a long list of why AI is risky, that's nothing is going to kill enthusiasm for your message more than that. So it's actually, I think, pivoting that mindset to think we understand there's risk. You know, there's risk in anything that you do. Every investment decision you make, every hire that you make brings an element of risk. But actually, let's just try for a moment to spend some time in the world of opportunity. And I'm not talking about HR opportunity. You know, where's the opportunity for the business? Because if you aren't starting with a view of where does the opportunity for us as an organization lie here with AI, then you've got it totally wrong right from the beginning. That's really interesting. And before we go on to opportunity, let's spend a little bit of time on on the risk because it's something that really yeah. it's something that really interests me. So I was I was chatting with um uh, the group of group of HR professionals the other day, and that's exactly it. We were getting into the risk. We were talking about the uh, you know risk around regulations, around matching. You know, we were looking at the recruitment side of things, matching candidates. We were looking at the risk of, you know, if if we're using AI to uh, predict um, sick leave, for yeah. example, um, there's a big risk there that we accidentally discover that people have, you know, a, a, a sort of long-term illness that they haven't disclosed and then there's all, all privacy issues as well we got into that and i think the point that i made there that i think is a really interesting one to talk about is because this is a general purpose technology and because it's everywhere and because it's completely democratized so anyone can access just like a wild range of ai capability for either free or for you know a few a few quid um, or a few dollars, depending on where the business is based. The the risk in a lot of cases is is much greater if you ignore it. Yeah. So I, and I, I so there's the risk of your competitors 
taking taking the opportunity that we're going to move on to and you yeah. getting left behind but there's also the risk of a whole load of unsanctioned technology kicking around the organization and when you look you, looking at all of these conversations that people are having around where's the intellectual property of code that's written with um with a large language model it's so unclear and so it's I, i'd be really interested in where your thoughts are on on the risk of of ai yeah and i think i think you you hit on a, a really important point which is you know there's never just employment risk and actually you know the default hr position will tend to be well you know here's here's an employment risk there's a risk of you know upsetting someone and you know there's, or it could be discrimination and i think that's some of the most unhelpful advice that we can give because it doesn't take a, a genius to sort of pull those things from from the air and it's not particularly actionable um you know there's uh, you know the, i think the risk of your competitors eating your lunch by <laughs> you know by leveraging these things you know you know being the being the naysayer that's slowing organizations down is just as risky um as you know diving in with two feet i think you just need to be really conscious about the way that you do things and try and work in partnership as much as you can with your organization um you know i've spoken to a number of sort of ctos various tech businesses lately and the message is it's a very weary message of people keep looking at us expecting that we are the ones who are going to be the people that you know do ai because we're 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 tech people and actually it's it's completely the wrong way around you know a, a cto or an you know an engineering team is never going to be able to go to a business look at every single function and say here's how you might leverage this technology they need to enable that you know so there's it's incumbent on the tech you know team the cto whoever it is as an organization let's agree our policy around these things let's have a conversation about how what are we comfortable doing and not doing with our data and making sure that obviously you're never doing anything with you know sensitive data sticking it into some you know unknown model and you know bringing the organization risk in in that sense but set set those boundaries you know it's like an okr framework create an environment for risk and discovery and then let people go and then you you know it's on you to then try and figure out how to to use these technologies in the right way absolutely right let's move on to the thing that gets us both excited let's move on so where do you see where do you see the opportunities um, for organizations i'm glad you start with organizations because that that was going to be my main point which is you know I've, I've i've you know i've been along to lots of sort of networking events now and i've gone to listen to you know every sort of ai um you know event that's running to to just kind of build my my thinking on this and i suppose the one theme that i feel i take from many of them not the one that you did of course but <laughs> all, all of all <laughs> of the others all of the others was um oh here's a process i was, I was saying this to you in the lift i think when when i left last time or i was saying it to someone you know here's a process we can make better won't it be faster uh you know or we can automate this or oh, well don't do that because it might you know it might cause this or that and i'm i'm just really bored with that conversation because i i personally really strongly believe it's totally the wrong conversation to be having again because it starts with hr it's about inward facing how can hr be better at hr not where's the organizational opportunity here and what does that mean for the business and if you're looking at something through you know a strategic workforce planning perspective starting with let's optimize an hr process based on our current operating environment is a complete waste of time yeah the the other thing that massively winds me up is the um the directive from the ceo to 
fill in the gap of HR leader saying, right, well, we've got AI now. So how do we make 15% of the workforce redundant? <laughs> and, and it's just, yeah, where can we save, where can we save time? Where can we save money? And that's just the, the, these things combined, like how do we tweak processes? How do we save money? How do we do things a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper? I just completely miss, I think, the the point around value creation. Yeah, and 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 I'm not, I'm not, you know, there's there's, there's two ends of this candle, isn't there? There's how can we make things percentage points better, and it, and influence, you know, in some way the processes that we have and tickle around the edges, and that's 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 valid. But I think, you know, what what I think needs to be happening is this conversation driven by everyone, you know, particularly you know senior board level HR people. But it's a conversation that needs to be happening through the business around, you know, what does AI mean for our corporate strategy? You know, and I use the word strategy carefully. It's a buzzword. Like, what are we doing that's going to drive value creation for this business in six to 18 months? And what could we experiment with around AI to help that and make that happen? What does it mean internally for our own workforce? And what does it mean for the external market? What are our competitors doing? How do we need to be changing? And I think all of that trickles down into things like, let's let's bring it to life with an example. Um, great, AI's here. We can automate all this stuff, you know. But all of that, all that stuff that we're automating is the easy work that our our, our entry level candidates, you know, are cutting their teeth on. This is how people learn the trade. So once you've automated all of that, what does that mean for your your talent pipeline in the business? How are you going to train those people? How does it mean that actually your onboarding process is going to need to change entirely? Does it mean that the product that we're selling needs to evolve? You know, are people you know skilled up and ready to come in and start doing different shape and size roles at an earlier stage in their career? Are our clients still buying the same products because you know their internal market is also being changed by AI? So it's that super high level stuff. And I know it all sounds really difficult. But I think that's the stuff that's really going to make a, a difference and actually spending time deliberately thinking about those things and thinking actually AI potentially is going to alter our business model. So then we can put our people lens over it. So what does that mean for us? Because there's absolutely no point using AI to you know, revolutionize your, you know, your internal succession planning or you know, using it to rifle through your engagement surveys or you know, help you with your talent acquisition process if actually you're going to be hiring 50% less people anyway, solving the wrong problem. Um, so understanding, you know, first understand the problem, understand where there's an AI, you know, benefit to it, and then start doing the design work as an HR person. Yeah, it's really interesting and a bit of a self-plug for another episode. I had a, um, a guy called Danny Hodgson on, on, um, on a previously, he's talking around workforce planning or talent demand planning and, um, I think that's a really, I think one of the things that we often lack in order to engage in those style conversations is a really detailed understanding of what we're talking about before, which is the business strategy um, and the operating model, and then how that then builds, then how that builds down onto the roles as, as, <coughs> sorry, as we understand them in the organization today. And once, I mean, once we've got those two things, the new, uh, an understanding of what the new operating model could look like, an understanding of how that will then impact people and the people plan, and and then ideally what skills are implied by that people plan and activities, then we can really have some interesting conversations about overlaying overlaying new technology, not necessarily AI, not necessarily AI, but new technology over that. And um, 
to really enable that change in operating model. So it is a bit of a, it is a bit, I think, of a, um, I suppose it's almost self-fulfilling prophecy in that if you've got some clarity over where you might want to end up on business processes in a world where technology can do a lot more, you can use technology to free up the time of your people in order to give them the spare capacity to get towards um, that future. And you're sort of bringing everyone on that journey with you as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, as you're talking, I've sat here thinking this all sounds very easy, but it's it's extremely difficult. Mm. And actually, um, I think it comes down to this idea of choice. And it, you know, AI is something that you know at some moment in time, organisations are going to have to choose that it's no longer you know that sort of one percent project. You know, it's like the idea. You know, we choose to go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And we choose to do this rather than the other things. And I'm, I don't know how many moments, uh, how many organisations have had that moment quite yet. Uh, probably some of the big ones have clearly, but you know, I think for you know most organisations out there without a bottomless pit of money, it's very, it's a very hard and it's a bit of a hail mary moment to say actually, you know, this is now going to be the thing that we choose to do. Um, so I think that you know the challenge for people is you know, in the day to day, how can you be be pushing that thinking? Um, in a way which is, you know, not not an unnecessary distraction for people, but is still adding, you know, a voice to the choir of, you know, AI as something that needs to be thought about and, and considered. And it's, it's really interesting. And I think the, I really like that term that you came up with, you know, let's think about the percentage, percentage improvements, more percentage improvement, 1% there, 10% there. The interesting thing about that is, companies will be brought along that journey by their existing software providers. Yeah. You know, most software that people use are cloud, is cloud-based technology. Most cloud-based technology is investing a huge amount in embedding artificial intelligence within their, within their platform if they haven't done already. So those percentage points to a large extent, if you've got a good modern tech suite, maybe they happen six months later than if you've done it yourself, but they'll happen, yeah. right? I mean, you see it all the time. I think LinkedIn, for example, have you know, uh, AI generated. Oh yeah, they'll um, write your cover letters for you now. Yeah. Uh, that's what so, I, you know, it's, it's, it's all out there and this, <laughs> and this is it. And it's just, there are the sort of things that are being served up. And hopefully as you know, more and more people have exposure to those things, um, you know, it, 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 it creates momentum, I think. Yeah. And I think, but even more reason then for us as HR pr practitioners to focus on the, I think two things. So the, the organizational strategy strategy or the organizational process of getting there um and then the the process of of starting from first principles and we've we're doing we've we're in the middle of a really interesting process at, at instant impact at the moment where um we're sort of almost starting from well we are starting from scratch on our on our tech stack and it's given us a real opportunity to think break every single output that we have as a services provider down and say, well, imagine this didn't exist. How would we How? let's think of a way we could assess a candidate. How could we figure out if a candidate is a good fit for a job or not? And starting from that position and fighting our ways out of, well, let's do this structured interview and that structured interview and say, well, forget interviews. Well, how else could we do it? Getting to that answer and then asking the question of whether technology could help to could get there is a really fun thing is a really fun thing to do um 
and it's really challenging, particularly for operators, people, you know, people doing the people who spend all of their time recruiting. It's really hard to get out of that um that world. But what we are really working on is making sure that it's a full company exercise, not just me or or a couple of the board level people thinking, you know, let's just let's crack on and see what's happening here. Because the actual pain points are felt most acutely by by the rest of the of the team. And I think being that facilitator of sort of gathering ideas, gathering people's creativity is is something that I think is really well suited to HR role in HR's role in in the sort of with the transformation hat. Yeah. yeah and, and and I think, you know, the, there's, there's 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 a challenge inherent with that, which is, you know, you're you're asking people to you know, help use a technology that there's probably a degree of fear around. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that mean for me? You know, I can do this job. Will I be able to do this this sort of same job, but it's in a very different way? And you know, does it still play to the things that I enjoy doing? You know, I mean, when I was out in exec search at the start of my career, you know, you were there on the phone all day talking to people. Um, and and actually, if all of a sudden what we're saying is that's not you know a part of talent acquisition anymore, you know, your your entire candidate profile potentially starts to shift and actually asking those very same people to build that new way of working, new product is scary. And I think there's an element of needing to coach people on that journey, which is, you know, at any moment of change, yes, there's always going to be, you know, some fear of loss, you know, humans fear losing things more acutely than they do um, the sort of sense of never having it in the first place. You know, it's better to have loved and lost isn't, isn't actually true. <laughs> you know, that, that sense of loss, I think people feel it far more than never having something in the first place. So, you know, by the time you've got a career that you love, when a technology comes along and threatens to change everything, uh, it's, it's a hard journey to go on. And some people, you know, might not feel ready for it. So I think there's a role of just trying to coach people through that change process, not by telling them that this is something that's going to make their lives easier, but, you know, trying to ask the right questions and walk them on that journey, you know, together in a way that holds them safely. And they feel that this is a process that they can go on that, you know, isn't ultimately just going to end in them being turned into a bit of tech. Um, yeah, and I think that's I think that that point's really important to really important to land in the the communications and the human element of any kind of change program is something that so often gets so often gets overlooked. So if you're an HR leader in an organization, this is something you want to do. You know, you're excited, scared, excited around around AI. You want you think the organization needs to needs to act. How do you think, and let's say your board is not moving, you know, your board's not moving, uh, it's not on the big agenda, it's not on the, um, it's not on their change agenda. How how do you start? How do you start that process? How do you become the change maker? Yeah. And I, I think, you, there's, you know, you probably have to start by asking questions because I don't think there are many boards out there that wouldn't recognize that actually AI is a thing. You know, whether you're in a you know a, you know on a PLC board or whether you're you know working in a, a scaling organization, um, you know it's it's unlikely that the people leading that business haven't heard about AI um, and recognise that it's coming. I think there's a question of what why isn't it a priority? You know, it's back to the idea of strategic choices. You know, what what other choices are we needing to make? And because if you don't understand why it's something that's not happening, it's very hard to create any sort of case why it needs to happen now 
Um, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you may feel that actually it's a mistake that this isn't something that's being done, um, there's, you know, I, I don't think anyone can bring around a sort of change of that magnitude on their own, you know, and dare I say, at least of all, HR people on their own in commercial organizations. So I think from that point, it's looking at building that coalition internally, you know, who are the big voices in that subject area, you know, who is kind of with you on this journey, who is not and why, and spending time building that momentum from the bottom up rather than just trying to go in straight at the board level, because, you know, there may well be good reasons why it's not the right time. There may well be other things that are already going on. So it's always that sort of concept of seek first to understand then once you've understood, try and build that coalition and start understanding where that message and where that opportunity is and lead with here is the organizational opportunity, not necessarily you know, here's the functional HR reasons why we think this this should be taking place. So it's very easy, again, easy to say and harder to do. Um, but I think you have to start by having that broad brush coalition of people that are aligned. Fascinating. That's really interesting. I'd like to link back to your time at um, MVF. What are, so in a world where we're coexisting with AI, how does that best workplace, best company to work for, how do you think that will change? How do I think it'll change? So, you know, I mean, you know, things like best companies awards, they don't, you know, there are two reasons why you do them. Uh, one is that you want to raise the profile of your organization and it becomes an important part of your employer brand. And the other is that you want to put yourself to the, you know, the test and see, you know, put your money where your mouth is in a public setting. Um, I, I think you, you, you win awards like that by being believed. You know, when you say things about your organization to your people, you know, all of your employer branding, you know, the reasons that people join, you know, if they arrive and those things are all nonsense, um, and there are low levels of trust in the leadership, you're, you're never going to win, you know, awards like that. People aren't going to disingenuously vote you, you know, a great employer if you're not. So it, I think it always came down to, to that point, which is actually, you know, the people team, what were we there to do? We were there to champion the culture. You know, culture is what people experience day to day, not just what you say, um, and keep the organization honest. Not, not that it needed it particularly, but people understood that to be the deal. And I think, when there's that the, the level of trust that brings when you do what you'll say you'll do and when you can explain to people sometimes you know in difficult circumstances you know there's a difficult thing we have to do you know, we'll seek to make you understand even if you don't agree then you know i think that's what really wins wins over on things like that you know all of the other things around the edge are nice in terms of building a great workplace experience and you know, understanding the things that are important to your people so that you can focus on those things and, and build that. But if, if you haven't got honesty at the core of it, if people don't trust the organization, then you're never going to win. So from, a, you know, so AI then, you know, there's a, as we said, a great deal of distrust, I think, from people around AI in terms of, you know, the risks, the data security, the what does it mean for my job, the ethics of the whole thing. And actually, I think that's where organizations are going to have to, again, sort of, Put, put their money where their mouth is, if that's the right expression, to make sure that actually this isn't just viewed as a technology that's going to allow you to slash and burn, uh, you know, and you know, reduce your workforce by 15% to, to use your example, and actually show that this is something that we view as being an optimization and an enhancement to a business that's going to be done in a, a thoughtful and considered way 
and not just a race to the bottom to you know minimize you know, minimize operating costs that's so interesting and i think the the word that pops into my mind is in a in a transparent way yeah as as well i think one of the the only piece of advice I'd add on to to that is that there's so much uncertainty around AI. Let's, I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves. I, I've spoken like you. I've spoken to CTOs who are doing really amazing things with AI, um, and asked what 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 they think is going to be the future. And the answers, the answers are just hugely different. You know, we're going to general general artificial intelligence is going to exist next year. It's going to exist in fifty years, and no one really knows the answer. To it. I don't even, I, I, to be honest, I don't even think that OpenAI and Google know the answers to those, to those questions. So I think being able to be transparent in a time of great uncertainty on those things is much, much, much better than keeping everything under your hat and just, and just, and just hoping that people fill in the gaps in the way that, that you want to, because people will, people, rumors start, people get, people get unnerved by those sorts of, that uncertainty. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you say, if you don't sort of fill the silence, then people will fill it themselves. And I think even if, you know, AI is not something that your organization is doing or is interested in, you know, there's, there's, there's a certain, you know, rationale that says, well, we'll talk about that. You know, if it, you know, don't let people speculate if it's genuinely not something that the organization is exploring for whatever reason right now. You know, there's plenty of opportunities that you have. So, you know, it helps to have leadership at a level talking about that to say, you know, for these reasons, AI isn't a priority for us right now. You know, we're not secretly working away on something, but equally we're not, you know, we don't view there being huge risks to this organization and not doing that by being a, you know, a slow adopter. Um, so, you know, I think it is something that people are thinking about. Definitely not every hour of every day. You know, do I think people are wandering into work, worrying that AI is going to automate their jobs? You know, probably 98% of people know. Um, but yeah, I think it is a silence that does need to be filled um, because it is on people's minds. But, you know, you're probably not talking extremely regularly, but say something on it, even if it's to say this isn't the strategic choice that we we feel that we need to make at the moment. Yeah, that's really, that's really, really interesting. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for coming in today. I really, My really pleasure. enjoyed the conversation. I did as well. It's nice to be in here. So warm and drying off after the soaking on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think for a bit of content, it is a very classic london day today yeah. um little little bit of rain a little bit of mist got my wet look gel on <laughs> <laughs> well thanks to thanks so much to andrew it was a really really interesting conversation please do tune in next week where we'll be uh, welcoming the culture doctor himself peter phelan uh, and we'll be across the pond maybe hopefully in a probably a snowy new york i would i would guess um and we're going to be talking there all around how to build cultures for uh, for growth and keeping well-being and happiness in mind thanks for tuning in